You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Okay, my name is Matt, by the way. If I haven't met you, I'm one of our pastors here at Grace. And we started a series on generosity a couple, well, I guess last week we kicked it off. Jay kind of did an overview. So today's the second teaching in that. And we're going to talk today about what, what we're calling uh, relational, where is it? Relational generosity. What, what does it mean to be generous with relationship? So let's broadly define what we're talking about when we're talking about generosity. Generosity freely involves the sacrificing of our time, Emotional energy and resources. Okay, this is kind of a broad definition. It can, it can come in the form of forgiveness, of uh, praise, of sacrificial giving, or acts of service. So specifically, when relationships don't experience that free exchange, that, that free giving, you, got, you guys know what that's like, right? There's all kinds of frustration. There's tension. There's uh, misunderstanding, even hostility, and Jay reminded us this morning that we serve a generous God. God is generous to us in every possible way that generosity can be expressed. And as those of us created in his image, which is everybody, but specifically those of us who have been adopted into his family by the sacrifice of his son, it's us that, that should be generous like our father is, right? It's like, it's like a family trait, right? Dad's generous. We should also be generous, Christians actually should be the most generous people on the face of the earth. And that's exactly what God calls us to, a, a holistic generosity. So Jay pointed out last weekend that, that we can be generous, that generosity can be expressed in a lot of different ways. And one way I think this is helpful to think through or think about is, is the idea of currency, right? There's lots of different currencies in our culture, in our, in our world, right? I mean, we got dollars, the yen, rupee. Uh, when it comes to relationship, we got, we've got currency of time, of, of emotional space, of, of finances. There's, there's a lot of currency. So, for example, let's say you hear of a need in, in, in this family. They're having a crisis. And, and um, you say, hey, I'll be happy to maybe help pay the mortgage this month, but I don't want to get emotionally involved because it's just too draining on me. At that point, what you're saying is your emotional... Uh, your emotional space is more valuable than, than your money, and so you're more apt to give that away. And, and you might be being um, relation, you might not be being relationally generous at that point. Now, now I mean, you might be. You might be involved in other things, and it's just too much, but you can help, and that's great. But as we're thinking through generosity over these weeks, think about your life. Think about where it is that you might struggle. Maybe it's relationship. Maybe you're a tightwad and financially you're not letting any of that go. Maybe, you know, whatever it is, we all have, we all struggle, right? So um, perhaps there's a, there's a project, right? We, we're going to do a project and you're like, hey, I'd love to, you know, I can cut a check for that, but, but, but I'm not going because my time is so valuable to me. I, you value your personal space more than at that point your money. And so therefore it's possible that you're not being relationally generous. You, you see how that works, right? Different currencies, and so it's impossible, or it's possible to be completely generous in one or two areas of your life, but be absolutely selfish and not generous at all in other parts of your life. And God calls us to this holistic kind of a generosity. 
And there's all kinds of examples in the scripture of, of generosity relationally. Like, think of Jesus, right? I mean, how he related to people. He entered into the lives of some of the most marginalized and cast out of the society. He, he spoke value into their lives. He didn't condemn. He came to serve and to save. And think about with his disciples, um, one picture in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus' greatest hour of need. He's going to the cross he tells his disciples, hey, stay awake and pray. And he goes and he's, you remember the scene, he's sweating like drops of blood. It's like the most intense, one of the most intense pictures in the scripture. And he comes back to his disciples and what are they doing? Well, they're asleep. Now, they're, the scripture, the gospels tell us they're exhausted emotionally, physically, they're tired. And Jesus, what does he say? Instead of, you know, when you've been let down by people you love in, in your greatest hour of need, it's easy to kind of go off on them, right? But what does Jesus say? He says, listen, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You guys did let, you, you let me down here. Your flesh let me down. But he also speaks life into that situation. He reminds them that the spirit is at work. And so we can all be generous in, in different ways, but not relationally generous at all. Okay, that's possible. Not, not at the heart level like Jay talked about last week. So when, when you look at a person with contempt or disdain, um, be, because may, maybe they make a lifestyle choice that you don't agree with, or maybe when we refuse to give people the benefit of the doubt because we, and, and we make assumptions about them without really even knowing them. Another thing we do is we, we assume the worst, but never get close enough to someone to actually know what's going on in their lives. Or, or when, when we write someone off, just completely write them off because they don't live up to our expectations. That is the opposite of relational generosity. Generosity that's relational when rightly ex ex experienced and, and <clears throat> excuse me, expressed, it causes us to enter into the lives of other people. Right? We sacrificially not only give our time, we're going to talk more specifically about that in the upcoming weeks, but, but we give our emotional energy and, our, and, and we connect with people. We become available. We desire good for them, not evil. Even if they're involved in things that are destructive, either in their thinking or their behavior, we, we seek to enter into their lives in order to help heal those who are experiencing pain, loss, and loneliness. That, that's a general picture of relational generosity. But I want to look at a specific form today. Because I, I think it's one that we're all, as Christians, we're called to. It's at the center of what it means to be relationally, relationally generous. And that's the concept of forgiveness. Because without, without forgiveness, none of us would experience any deep, ongoing relationships at all. Right? Remember... Uh, yeah, remember everything I taught last time I taught, James 3? <laughs> I don't remember what I said last week. Um, but here's what James taught us. Remember, he said, we all, James 3, all of us, let me make sure I get this right. We all stumble in many ways. Remember that? And he said, the one thing that all of us have in common is the way that we sin against each other with our words, with our actions, with our attitudes. That was a tough sermon. And so, as Christians filled with the spirit of the living God, we should be growing more and more into the image of Christ, into, into his likeness. But sin is still a very real part of our lives and our experience. I mean, we know that. And so we can't ignore it because the, the, the offenses that we create with one another, they, they 
uh, cause all kinds of disharmony in our relationships. And so we can't ignore them. The, the fact of the matter is that there are people that owe you relationally. They owe me because of the way they've, they've treated you. Right? And, and there, there's, a, there, there's, a, there's a debt there. And oftentimes what, what we do as humans is we're, we're prone to move away from uh, forgiveness and we're prone to hold that over them. Or maybe, maybe we, be, we just become more demanding of them, right, in order to kind of extract some payment from them. Or sometimes we keep it down, we hold it down, but we hold that grudge against them, resulting in a lack of forgiveness. This, too, is the opposite of what it means to be gener- relationally generous. So in order to be generous relationally at that point when we're offended, we, we, need to, we need to move on. We need to let it go. Biblically speaking, we need to forgive. And so today I want to look at what exactly does Jesus say about forgiveness? What, what, uh, what, what does he say to his disciples? What, what's the scope of it? What, what is the, how do we do it? And then where do we get the power to actually pull it off? So that's what I want us to look at. Today, so we're going to be we're going to start with Luke 17. I'm going to read this. This is the word of God for us today. Jesus said to his disciples, "Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. To which the apostle said, increase our faith. Jesus said, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down, have something to eat. Wouldn't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I, while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink? Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. So let's look at the scope of this forgiveness. It's huge. Jesus says seven times, right? It, it, for, it seems ridiculous to us. We're like, okay, so on the eighth time, right, he, we're, we're done. He's not saying that at all, right? I mean, in other places, 70 times seven. The, the idea here is that we should be bent toward forgiveness, and seven in the scriptures is, this, is a symbol of like completion or fullness. It's almost as if he's saying, Think of the most heinous way someone could sin against you. And if you go to them and point it out and they're repentant, you must, as my followers, forgive them. It's not optional. It's, it's worse than the seven. It's, it's this holistic forgiveness that he says, you as my disciples, must, must, that must be what your lives are all about. And so Jesus is saying that there is no sin too great there's no sin against you too colossal that, that, you, that it cannot be met with forgiveness. And he makes it very clear right here. He does not stutter. It's, it's straightforward. Forgiveness is the hallmark of the Jesus follower. And so this is a big ask. So no wonder his disciples say, well, increase our faith. Unless you do something in me, how am I going to be able to pull this off? It's too generous. Seven times? 
the, the, the Jews in that day had a saying that after three times, you didn't have to uh, forgive anymore, right? They looked at the book of Amos, this Old Testament prophet. If you, you know Amos, there's this refrain that goes all the way through it, for three sins and for four. So they would say, oh yeah, after three, you're done. But Jesus takes it way up. And he says, you must forgive. And they say, it's just too heavy for us. How do we do that? So that's the scope of it. How, how do we actually do it? So three things to remember. The first thing is that forgiveness is granted before it's ever felt biblically. Okay, forgive, forgiveness, it's, a, it's not a feeling, it's an action. It's something we do. And we see it all over the place in the scripture. But Jesus doesn't say, hey, when, when, you're, when, when you're, you're, you're comfortable or when you feel like they've had enough time to really, you know, pay. He says, no, our default should be to forgive. Now, our culture that we live in values um, feelings as supreme, right? So much so that even our language has changed over the past year. So we don't say, hey, I think we should go over there today. You hear, especially the younger guy, they're like, yeah, I feel like we should go over there. And I'm just, it drove me crazy, a student ministry guy, because I, I lived through the transition. Everybody started talking about feeling this. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah, I feel like that's true. What do you, I don't care what you feel. What do you mean? What is it? But it's, it's changed our culture, right? Well, there's a war on words, but that's a whole nother sermon. So we'll talk about that at another time. But, but this complicates things because when someone sins against you, you feel it, right? There's nothing we can do. It's, it's right there. But biblically, forgiveness is always granted before it's felt. It's not an emotion. It's an action. It's something we're called to do. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. So that's important. Here's the second thing that's important to remember. We need to identify with the offender, the one that sins against us, instead of characterizing them. Now, what do I mean by that? Our knee-jerk reaction when someone sins against, against us is to kind of distance ourselves from them. I, I can't believe he would do that. I can't believe she would treat me like that. Right? We, we, we just... I'm appalled. I remember a comedian years ago, he... Uh, he was talking about the Lance Armstrong kind of uh, saga. You guys remember Lance Armstrong, the yellow wristbands, Tour de France, got busted for doping, and um, he, was, he was juicing on performance-enhancing drugs, and, and the, the whole sport was a little corrupt at that point, okay, and that's being generous, but um, all the commentators from around the world, especially the other countries, they were like with their jowls just shaking. It's just reprehensible. I just can't believe somebody would do something. Right, right? and they're just, they're, they can't believe it. And this community is like, really? You can't believe our roided out guy beat your roided out guy? He got caught and yours did? Right, but that's what we do. When someone sins against us, we distance ourselves. We're like, I could never do something like that. How could you? How dare you? But Jesus says, hey, we're kind of in this thing together. We have a common family. He says, when a brother sins against you, he's talking about the family here. Hey, somebody that's like you, a brother, a sister. But Mark even goes farther than that. Look what Mark says. Mark says, um, when you stand praying, when Jesus is speaking, Mark, if, if you hold anything against anyone, Forgive them. And look at the weight he puts behind that. So that your Father in heaven may forgive you and your sins. Somehow the way we forgive others is directly tied to the way that God forgives us. We should think about that. That's significant. That's heavy. We all have a, a common 
community, right? We all have a common humanity. We're, we're all sinners. And to stay angry and resentful against someone, what you're doing is you're, you're lifting yourself up above them. You're saying, oh, I could never, I can't believe you, you would do that. And when we do that, what we do is we exclude the, the brother or sister. We exclude them from the, the community of humanity at that point, right? They're not even, we, we, we dehumanize them. But didn't, doesn't the Bible teach that we're all created in the image of God? And that means that we all have an intrinsic value just because we're human, just because we're created in his image. And we all are, are, are deserving of respect and honor just, just at that, that level. Not, and this is before any behaviors. I'm talking about dignity. We all have that. And so when, when we're wronged, we, we tend to reduce them to less than or, or solely identify them by what, the, what, what they've done. Oh, that guy's a filthy liar. That guy's just a, just a piece of work as a human being. But when you lie or when you get caught doing something you probably shouldn't have, well, it's complicated, isn't it? It just works like that. We just are so quick to dehumanize, to, to point out the flaws but we're multidimensional people, so two things we can't do. We can never exclude the sinner from the community of humanity, and we can never exclude ourselves from the community of the sinner. We have to, we have, to have an accurate picture of who we are. That, that's, that's huge. If we're going to be people of forgiveness, we have to remember that. And the third thing is that we need to, in, and Gary taught us this years ago, but we need to inwardly surrender the right of repayment and pay the debt ourselves. This is where it gets difficult. The word for forgiveness in this particular passage, is, it's a financial term. And so let's say Schofield, Don, you owe me a thousand bucks, okay? And he's not paying up. I mean, uh, and, and he's, all these hardships are going on. And he said, man, I just can't pay you right now. I'm like, you know what, Don? I love you, man. And, you know, I got this. And I just, I'm just going to forgive that debt. What happens to the debt? I end up eating it, right? I end up paying for it. It doesn't just go away. So like either he pays the debt or I pay the debt, but the debt doesn't just go away. And the same is true in, in our relationships, in the, in the way we forgive, right? We, somebody robs you of happiness, of joy, of your reputation, you know, um, all the ways that people can sin against each other. At, at that point, we can either uh, go off on them, right? The flesh says, well, you hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you. You, you, you sought to destroy my reputation. I'm going to ruin you. Right? That's what our flesh says. Or sometimes, you know what we do? We don't say anything. We simply root against them inside. Right? We're always rooting against them. And, and when something negative or something bad happens in their life, we're like, yes. And why? Because we feel like at that point, they're paying for that debt. They're paying. They deserve that. And, and you feel good. But watch yourselves, right? Hebrews 12 says that, man, you do not let a bitter root of envy and, and malice, don't let that thing grow. Because what, what happens is that anger, that, that resentment in you actually hurts you. That, that is ultimately going to destroy you. Rick and I were talking on the phone last week uh, and kind of about this sermon. And he reminded me of that, that, that phrase that when you have anger and malice towards someone, it's like you're drinking poison expecting them to die. And the thing is, it's never going to happen. You're the one that's dying. 
you're the one that's, that's being hurt by that. And it might feel good immediately because you're getting some kind of repayment, but in the long run, it will defile, it will ruin you. We have to hear the words of Jesus here. He calls us to a better way. He calls us to forgiveness. And that means that every time that sin, that offense comes to mind, <coughs> excuse me, you pay, not them. You pay it within yourself. You say, I, I've forgiven you. I'm not going to hold that against you. But it's still real. It still hurts. So you pay. All generosity is like that. It's all sacrificial. Generosity, if you're going to be a person of generosity, it's going to cost you something. Your time, your money, your emotional space, whatever it is. And, and oftentimes when you're sinned against, that debt is going to be paid over and over in your mind every time it comes up, and sometimes over a lifetime. But you choose to pay instead of holding it against them and exacting payment from them. That's what forgiveness is all about. And it's not that, it's not that you minimize the sin either. right? Jesus says, hey, when you're sinned against, you go to them. right? Cowards don't go. Cowards sit there and do all these other things we've been talking about. They resent, they do all. It, it, takes, it takes courage. It takes, I, I would even say, real Holy Spirit power to really go and confront brothers and sisters in, in the right way when you've been sinned against. And we need to do that. It takes power to do that. But you go rebuking, and what is rebuking? At the core of the rebuke, you're pointing out what's wrong. The goal is restoration. The goal is not destruction. Remember Matthew 18. He says, uh, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Right? Keep it private. Don't gossip about it. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. Restoration is the goal. Too many times we, we, we want to go and impose punitive damage on them. Right? Make them feel small. Let them know that you would never do anything like that. But that's not what we're called to. And, and so some would say that, that this text in Luke, he says, yeah but, yeah, but he says only if they repent do we forgive. But listen, if you go to rebuke somebody and you're not ready to forgive, why are you going? What's going to happen? You're going you're gonna to teach them a lesson? How's that worked out in the past? You're going to make them feel bad, let, let them know how superior you are? You're going to exact payment from them? Some would say, hey, I don't want to forgive, I just want justice. Oh, yeah? You want justice, huh? Okay. But if you don't forgive and you get justice, what you're really getting is vengeance. Right? It's still all about you. And vengeance isn't yours to have. It belongs to God. It's not mine. Remember Jay a couple weeks ago told you guys you weren't God? I was sitting out there. <laughs> I heard him. Yeah, we're not God. And Scripture says, vengeance is mine. God says, I am the one who will repay. So we need to stop thinking things like that. D.A. Carson, great theologian, he says this. To quote passages on justice to justify the nurtured bitterness of your own personal injury for the Christian is inexcusable. Never a time to do that. Never a reason to do that. And so what Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all saying is inwardly we need to be bent towards forgiveness as we're going to the offender. <laughs> Not denying the hurt, right? There's pain, but going with, with the hopes of restoration, reconciliation. In other words, you must will the good. This is where it gets hard. This is hard work. You must will the good 
of the wrongdoer. Sometimes we say, yeah, I want to forgive, but I want nothing to do with them. Which means, uh, I'm, I'm not going to hurt you, but man, I don't want you to flourish. And if that's the case, you haven't really forgiven them because you're holding it against them. Now hear me on this. There are times when we are not able to be reconciled to those who sin against us. I'm not saying that. There are times when, you know, there's, there's, we sin against each other in heinous ways sometimes. And, and the restoration of relationship may not be restored. I get that. Reconciliation um, takes two, okay? But there's never a time when forgiveness is impossible. Jesus says there's never a time. There is never a sin too great that you can't forgive if the person responds in repentance. That's our, that's our call as Christians. So watch yourselves. So where do we get the power to do this? What, who, what's the source of this? Um, Jesus answers with a parable. He says, okay, let me tell you guys a story. Let's, let's say you're, you're a master and you've got this servant and he's working for you. Now, we hear this story with our Western ears, and we think, hey, this guy sounds kind of like a jerk. Why wouldn't you thank the guy? Why wouldn't you let him have something to eat? Let me give you some context of what's going on here. In in the ancient culture, if you owed a creditor and you couldn't pay him back, there was two options. One, that creditor could have you thrown in prison, an exact payment, maybe even death. Or, more graciously, you could come and work for them. It wasn't like slavery as we know it. It was actually a, a, a benefit to them. You'd come and you'd work it off. It might be a year. It might be two years. No more than seven. The scriptures puts parameters around that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, 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 but that, that's what's going on. And so um, let's, say, let's say you had a bad year. Maybe, maybe your crops failed. Maybe the weather was, you know, global warming. You couldn't grow a plant. Whatever it is. Um, and you, you just couldn't pay. Or, or maybe you built this really sweet wine press. You kind of overdid it on that. You bought a new yak or whatever you do in those days. And you're like, oh, sweet yak, dude. Yeah, I couldn't afford it. Um, so what, whatever it is, you, you can't pay. There's only two options. And so in this story, the servant's doing only what he's told to do. And it was good for everybody. And there's no need for thanks. I mean, does your boss fall all over you when you go to work? You know, you're getting paid. Oh, thank you so much for coming in today. It's just such a... No, you're going to work. I mean, we expect... It'd be nice to be cordial. You know, I wouldn't mind Jay thanking me once in a while for showing up. But, you know, I... <laughs> He's a hard taskmaster, that guy back there. No, not true. Not true. But, but you see what... They all, they all know what's going on here. They're like, of course not. Of course he wouldn't thank him. It doesn't make sense. Of course they wouldn't... Um, you know, their job is to prepare for the master and make food. And then when he's done, he's like, yeah, go ahead and get you something to eat. That's normal. They get it. What's not normal is a, a servant acting like a master. Now, you see this all through Luke and the Pharisees. These guys act like God owes them something because of their piety, right? Because of their long prayers, because of the, the way they tithe on their mint, cumin, and dill, and whatever else they're tithing on. Right? They, they think God owes them something because of their, their, their piety. I fast twice a week. I pray all the time, remember? You should be blessing me. And in that case, their servants acting like masters. <clears throat> what, we sh- what we should be is grateful servants who have been shown mercy. And in the context of relational generosity, specifically forgiveness, Jesus says that when you refuse to forgive, you're forgetting who you are. 
When you refuse to forgive, you're forgetting who, who God is. <clears throat> I mean, he created you. He, he, he owes you nothing. We owe him everything. And as Christians, he redeemed us. He's forgiven us cosmically more than we could ever forgive here on the earth. And so when we refuse to forgive, we put ourselves in the judge's seat. And that guy deserves that. How do you know what that guy deserves? How do you know what their life has been like? People live some pretty hard lives. Maybe, maybe we cut some people some slack once in a while. I mean, address the sin. But, you know, you, you, you don't go to them, and, and, and they come, and you, you point out the error of their ways. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And you're like, yeah, I bet you're sorry. That, that's, that's the flesh. Jesus is calling us to something better. And he, he responds to their increase our faith with that metaphor. If, if you had just, just a little bit of faith, and it's not general faith, it's faith in him. If you knew who I was and what I am going to do for you, if you knew, just had a little, little more faith in, in what I'm going to do in and through you, if you could understand, if you understood just a little more that you're a sinner and I'm going to save you by my grace, and you move away from being a servant acting like a king, and God owes you nothing, and you embrace the gospel, that's where the power, that's where the source comes from for us to live lives of forgiveness. If you understood the gospel at all, you would not only be able to forgive, you'd be eager to forgive because of what God in Christ has done and forgiven you, and you would be free. That's the thing, man. The sun sets you free. You're free indeed. You'd be free of bitterness. You'd be free of anger that's actually hurting you. And you would be free of paying the wages of that sin. Because that's exactly what Jesus came to do for you. And that's, the, that's what's so crazy about the gospel. The king actually becomes the servant. He had, and everyone's looking around like, like, why are you washing my feet? What's going on here? And he takes upon himself the sin of the world. And he dies. And he says, freely, freely come and drink. Come to me. All you are weary. I'll give you rest for your souls. I'll save you eternally. And so in order for us to be the relationally generous people that God is calling us to, we need to remember who we are. We need to remember who he is and what he's doing through us. And after living lives faithfully as Christians, and, and I see some really long-tenured faithful Christians in this room today, you still, you deserve nothing. It's all gift it's all grace. And we are only doing what the masters asked us to do. That's important for us to understand. That's the beauty of the gospel. I want to Ephesians 4, 29. <clears throat> do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom with you, are, you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, all rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Father, would you, would you move us in that way? Would that be the overflow of our hearts, Lord? 
as we, as we move out into our worlds and our neighborhoods and our families, would you stir that passion for the gospel? Stir the passion to be forgiving like you are and cause us to, to make a difference for your kingdom here on this earth. We love you and we thank you for the forgiveness you've shown us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.